0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Frank. I am one of the elders here at Soma Eastside. I'm just going to do a little adjustment. Thank you. This past Thursday morning, I had the privilege of and the the joy of attending the Impact Players monthly morning breakfast on Thursdays. If you haven't had a chance to do something like that, uh, it's great. so for dads, almost dads, and, and young men in the group, I definitely recommend it. Uh, you get to hear amazing talks and, and even a dad joke or two like this. Um, I tried to tell a joke on Zoom the other day. It wasn't even remotely funny. So there you go. Uh, that and other great nuggets are uh, available to you on Thursday mornings. If you have more questions, talk to Warren. He's here somewhere over there. Okay, children and youth, I am going to release you, but first I would like to speak a blessing over you. You are the future of the church, and you are the church today. May you grow in knowledge and wisdom of the Lord. Amen. You are dismissed. All right, we are in a sermon series titled Preparing the Way, and I picked a picture from a backpacking trip I got to take a few summers ago. Speaking of mountains, that was quite, quite the mountain to go against. Um, it's a Gothic basin. It was beautiful, though. So. All right, um, last week, he did a great job of introducing the series talking about John the Baptist, someone who started out preparing the way for the Lord, someone who was in the wilderness. He was prophesied about by Isaiah. Isaiah said he's the voice of someone in the wilderness preparing the way. And when people came to ask him are you the one that we've been expecting? Are you the the prophet or the Messiah? He said, no, I'm the one who's pointing to him. And then we read how he saw the Messiah, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And one of his disciples who was with him went to Jesus and said, rabbi or teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come and see. So we see a progression of people coming to John and then John pointing them to Jesus and people starting to go to Jesus. And that's the point where we encounter this story where Jesus is preparing the way for the kingdom by picking his team. So Jesus is preparing the way and he is picking people. So just to get us in the mood of thinking about getting picked and it's a football day. It's a big football day. So I think back to my own experience in elementary school and playing playground football. Anybody do that? Or do they still do that today? So at the start of playground football, anyone who wanted to play had to stand side by side. And two captains would stand in front. And they would pick. They'd take turns getting who's, who's going to play on their team. And you know, for me, I was rarely the captain, hardly ever. If I was, the people standing next to me were telling me who to pick. Uh, usually, it was down to the last two or three people, and I was looking around asking, please don't let me be last, don't let me be last. <laughs> the the shame of being picked last. Um, yeah, these days, um, there's... When it comes to high school dances, it's like there's a big ask. Are people familiar with this? It's like high pressure. Somebody comes with a bunch of friends and a sign, they put it in front of somebody. They say, I want you to go to the dance with me and everyone's looking. And what are they going to say, right? That there's some pressure, some anxiety that comes around being asked sometimes. Well, Jesus had already been proclaimed to be someone special by John the Baptist. John said he's the Messiah, and now people are watching. They want to know what's he going to do next? Who will he go to? How will he do these things? And that's where we pick up the story in Mark. So if you have your Bibles or your your smart devices on your smartphones, your Bibles, we're going to look at Mark 1, starting at verse 14. Why don't we stand together for the reading of the word of the Lord. Mark 1, 14. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. And he called to them at once and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Thank you. Please be seated. Let me just pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you teach us through your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and that he comes to call us to follow him. Amen. Amen. So the kingdom is announced by Jesus, and the big question is, what is the way that this kingdom will come about? What I'd like us to do today is to look at four ways that Jesus prepares the way for his kingdom based on this passage. The first one is, when Jesus prepares the way, he chooses ordinary people like us, Going back to when we were picking football teams, we wanted someone who had the best arm or maybe they were the biggest or the fastest. The ordinary people got chosen after that. But Jesus chose someone ordinary first. All four Gospels recount Peter and Andrew are the first two that Jesus chooses. Could you imagine what would have been the qualifications on Jesus' list as he was looking for these people, would he look for the most respected, the most talented, maybe the most devoted? Who would have thought he would pick the most unlikely? This is so backwards from the way of the world, when people look to great teachers or, um, you know, senseis, masters of of their craft. They flock to that person and appeal to become one of their followers. Jesus is actually going out to people and recruiting them. Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. Jesus chose ordinary people for his extraordinary work. Peter and Andrew, James and John, these were just people who fished for a living. I doubt that Peter had aspirations to do anything else for the rest of his life. And we see in the scriptures from the Apostle Paul, he says, "'Instead, God chose things of the world or that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think that they are wise.'" And he chooses things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. If we look ahead to Peter's life, you know, we get the benefit of coming later on. So we can see what happens, right? Later on in Peter's life, just three short years later, he's changing the world. Here's an account from Acts 4. It says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They could see that they were just ordinary men. No special training in the scriptures, but they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Jesus chooses ordinary people like us. The great evangelist from the 19th century, D.L. Moody, had this to say, If the world is going to be reached, I'm convinced it must be done by men and women of average talent. <laughs> you don't have to be a rock star to tell people about Jesus. So please don't think you're too insignificant for God to use. God delights in using ordinary people for his extraordinary work. Second, when Jesus prepares the way, he has a kingdom-sized vision for the future. Could you imagine Peter's vision for himself? Accomplished fisherman. I got my own boat, got my nets, catch fish, go to bed, wake up. Do the same thing next day. Jesus' vision for him was so much bigger. <clears throat> Jesus says, now it's time for you to follow me, and I will teach you to fish for people. Jesus is basically telling him, it's time for you to become an apprentice again. I want you to do what I do, and I want you to do it the way that I do it. He invites Peter to come along with him. And could you imagine Peter with his fishing nets just looking at this man standing in front of him, just wondering, is it worth it? Can I trust him? The Apostle Paul says, we've stopped evaluating others from merely a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. (coughs) Excuse me. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. Peter was experiencing that transition right at that moment. Three years later, Peter is bringing thousands of people into the kingdom, We see in Acts 2, Peter continued preaching for a long time. He's my hero. Should should we preach for a long time today? (laughs) Please, no. (laughs) God is good. (laughs) Uh, He strongly urged his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all, fishermen to fisher of people. If you want an example of a kingdom-sized life from modern days, one person I thought of was Corrie Ten Boom. This is a woman who in her, I think she was in her mid to late 40s, had been working in a clock shop, apprenticing under her dad her whole life, and World War II started to break out and they were realizing their Jewish neighbors were disappearing. And she and her family took it upon themselves to help people get out, to get to safety. She was discovered, captured, lived for years with her family in concentration camps, and afterward flew all around the world telling people about God's grace and his mercy. When God calls us, He calls us into kingdom-sized vision. Next, when Jesus prepares the way, he redeems our past. When we look at Luke's account of Jesus calling Peter, and Peter realizes who Jesus is, his exclamation is, oh Lord, please leave me, I'm such a sinful man. Think of, how how much against this is to what Jesus had just proclaimed. He said, repent from your sins and come into my kingdom. Peter sees Jesus, the king, and he says, repent from me. I don't deserve to be around you. Peter had a past. And Jesus said, I'm here to redeem that. I have a greater purpose for you. You are not defined Simply by your past. Whatever sins they were, it doesn't even go into detail. When we encounter Jesus, we don't need to hide our past from him. We need to give our past to him and see what he does with that. Do you feel that there might be something from your past that's separating you from Jesus? Maybe it's abuse or broken relationships, addiction, whatever it is, Jesus has already paid more than enough to buy you out of that. Fourth, when Jesus prepares the way, he invests in the obedient. The first disciples' response to Jesus' call was radical obedience. Peter and Andrew left their nets at once James and John left their father in the boat with the hired men. While everyone else saw just ordinary fishermen, Jesus saw extraordinary followers. What made these men, these common men, uncommon was their extraordinary capacity to obey Jesus. And Jesus still has that call out to us today. You know, not everyone responded to Jesus' call the same way that these men did. I can think of the rich young ruler a little bit later on in Mark. Someone who's well-respected comes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, I've got a question. What's the best commandment? And he says, honor God, love your neighbor, respect your parents. He says, great, I've done all of those things. I bet you really want me Jesus looked at him, it says that he looked at him and he loved him and he said, you lack still one thing, sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. And what happened? He, he went away sad. He just couldn't take that step. So you might look at the rich young ruler and think, well, obviously, I'm not as bad as that, Right? but I just want to try before I buy with a bit of a no-guilt-return policy. And, you know, that, that may be closer to obedience to Jesus, but it's a far cry from what these fishermen did. Why is obedience important to Jesus? Obedience is our faith being demonstrated. Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is all about walking with him. In Matthew 7, he says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. When Jesus sees obedience in his followers, he invests in it. He nurtures it, He disciples it, He trusts it, He sets it loose on an unsuspecting world, and He does the unthinkable through it. Remember what Jesus teaches us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it or puts it into practice is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. And you remember what he says happens next. The rains came, the floods came, they beat against that house, that house stood firm. Jesus invests in the obedient. When we look at these four things, we think, how does that apply to me today? Here are some ways that an apprentice can follow Jesus today. First, we can prepare the way in our life and in the lives of those around us. I definitely recommend set some time apart for daily communion with God. For me, that's first thing in the morning. But for you, it might be after your kids go to bed or on a lunch break. Maybe you just need to get out and take a walk and take some time to pray. What difference does it make in my life? What difference does that make for my neighbors or my coworkers? Second, let's live as kingdom people. If Jesus was recruiting people for his kingdom, he's got a purpose for us, right? Peter, that first disciple, said, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You're a holy nation. You're God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Think of the difference between these two statements. Here's one. I made a decision for God. sounds like I made a decision for myself. Versus God chose me to be part of his kingdom. See, the focus has shifted from me now to God. I'm not saying that one of these is more true than the other, but what we emphasize determines what we prioritize. Let's live as people who are in his kingdom. Third, let's look for God's kingdom vision wherever we are. Remember what Jesus says in the Great Commission? He says, be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Even when you walk out the doors of the church, even when you walk in the front door of your house, when you walk in the front door of your place of business. Jesus is with us wherever we go. Second, I want to think about obedience to Christ. You know, in this example, these fishermen threw away their nets. They completely changed everything. Now, I want to assure you, I don't think... God's going to call you to leave your job. But he might. If he does, just be ready. But this is what the apostle Paul told the church in Corinth when people were wrestling with this. I'm a new believer, what do I do? His advice to them was this in 1 Corinthians 4:7. Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. I think there's a good reason behind this, and I have a quote to share that I I think will drive this home. So if you could put up the next slide. All right, small print. Can you read it? Okay, all right. In our present cultural moment where the gospel is viewed as being implausible, The Christian's Monday through Friday work or school makes the gospel and even the existence of God plausible. In other words, for people who say, I don't see any evidence for God, you are the evidence for God right where you are. In other words, in our cultural moment, the gospel must be seen before it is heard, as we image God in the workplace by doing good work, as we are faithful to do our work with excellence, as we're faithful to show up on time, most of the time, as we serve as conduits of common grace in the workplace, we give skeptics, agnostics, nuns, and unbelievers a front row seat to see the truthfulness of the gospel. Our work can bear witness to the veracity and plausibility of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So please see that God can use you wherever you are. Another interpretation of the Great Commission is as you go, make disciples. Wherever you are, make disciples. Jesus is with you. Amen. All right, I'd like to invite Colin up. I'm just going to... Recommend some practices for us. Last week, you remember, the practice was to take these cards and write down the names of two or three people to pray for. I'd like us to go a little bit deeper in that exercise now. Be picking people to pray for in this season leading up to Easter. Are there some people in your life that, you feel need to encounter Jesus in a new way. As you're praying for them, I'd like you to follow these points. First, ask God to show you if there's something that needs to be redeemed. Start praying about that for these two or three people. Second, ask God to give you a kingdom vision. What would it look like for my neighbor to not only be redeemed, but also be contributing and moving in the way that Jesus is spreading his kingdom. So if God gives you a vision for that, then pray that God's kingdom would come into those areas. Not only that, but pray with someone or write it down so that you can come back to it. Pray over it again. And as you pray, God may call you into some kind of action. It may just be to continue to pray. It may be to say something. It may be to reach out and ask them how they're doing. Is there some way that you can serve them or bless them? And follow God and see where he leads. That's my ask for us as apprentices to Jesus, as people who've been called as part of his kingdom. Lastly, he may call you to something that just seems like it gives you a check in your spirit. So I'd just encourage you, talk to a mature believer about what God's putting on your heart. He puts us in community for a reason. All right, we're going to go into a time of communion now. It's a time for us to uh, take some time for silent prayer. Take some time to reflect on God's word to us, what it means to be called into his kingdom. We're going to take communion, which is a way of remembering that redeeming work that Jesus did in our lives. Last, we're going to sing because he's worthy of our praise.